podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com. Hello and welcome to episode number 59 of the Rewatch Project with Hannah and Mike. I am Mike and with me as always is Hannah. How are you today, Hannah? Um, I'm sore. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you know. Mobile? Mobile, yes. God, I'm sorry, listeners. I just moan constantly. Both the podcasts that I do usually start with my co-hosts talking about their various health issues. I feel like, it's you know fault. what? I am the most, like, it, you'd think I was a health nut if you if you listen to all of my podcasts because well, I'm I'm never sick, you know. It's, yeah, well, I I wouldn't let you have more than a couple of days when you had your eye surgery because then I broke my ankle. That wasn't really your choice, was it? But uh, I'd rather have not have done it. But you know, yeah, there there are agents of Shield who have less injuries than you, Hannah. Just to throw a segue yeah, your. Yeah. Uh, your direction, or Sieg, <laughs> as uh, as he said in the Queens. <laughs> yeah. Now, Hannah, what are we talking about this week? So we are talking about epi- uh, episode nine of season three, called Closure. Episode nine. This, <laughs> this is a weekly thing now. <laughs> fuck you. Um, it was. It aired on the 1st of December 2015. Synopsis says... was it the Christmas episode then? Very Christmassy. Um, Ward's vendetta and plan for revenge against S.H.I.E.L.D. brings the team to their knees and Coulson proves he will be willing to do anything to settle the conflict. It is directed by Kate Woods and written by Brent Fletcher. Oh, Brent Fletcher's back. Hasn't written for the show for a Got while. Got a 9 but... out of 10 on IMDb. Oh, it's quite a high one. I am looking forward to it. Full of stoke. I can't remember the episode exactly, but I'm pretty sure I know some elements. I, I'm hazy on this whole era now. I've got, I've got like... Um, and this isn't a spoiler to say because the, the episode the episode's been leading up to it, but I've got vague recollections of Ward swanning around with Powers Booth, um, and then that's about it. Yeah, you know that's pretty much the only thing I can remember about the rest of this season. Right. So uh, it'll be a journey of discovery for me. Well, fantastic. Yeah. Well, before we get into that, just a quick uh, bit of housekeeping. Um, first and foremost, a reminder to go over to wearepodsyndicate.com and check out all the other shows over there, including Entertainment Landfill, his film, her movie, uh, Film Bastards, and uh, Chief Stroker vs. Punter. Um, the Iron Sequel. I knew I was forgetting something. But uh, it came back to me in a moment of inspiration. Uh, and also go and check out the YouTube channel and all the stu- good stuff for that. Um, quick reminder that we always appreciate feedback at rewatchprojectpodcast at gmail.com and we are uh, available for conversing, for conversements on our socials, namely Instagram and Twitter, and we are at rewatchproj, that's P R O J, on those things. And speaking of feedback, mm. um, there's a couple of things we've had that I would like to read. Okay. Okay. First up, um, a little 
YouTube comment from Jack Dubs. Um, thank you for commenting again. Um, so this is a comment on the episode Many Heads, One Tale that we've just put out. Many Heads, yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> right. oh, I'm just... Stop. Okay. Uh, right, so it says, One of my favourite episodes of Season 3. As a lore junkie, this tickled me in all the right places, and I love how they explained why there were holes cut into the monolith. That is some fucking awesome forward planning. Mm. So um, thank you for that. Solid. Um, Silver Surfer has also said um, on the same episode, uh, Powers Booth played a good guy in the underrated action film Rapid Fire, wow. starring the amazing Brandon Lee. Wow. Um, and that was because you had said you don't think you've ever seen no I haven't and it's funny as well that he was united with Brandon Lee who played the crow who died and was replaced by Mark Dacascos who plays Powers Booth's crony in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. wow so uh, you know small incestuous world uh, it all comes together yeah Um, we have also had an emailio from Craig um, and it's entitled was that Craig from Brighton Yes, it is. Um, and it's entitled Babylon 5. Oh, yes, he was watching Babylon 5, wasn't he? Okay. Was he watching that our recommendation? I can't remember. Or I can't remember either. No. Okay, so here we go. Craig from Brighton again. I have literally just this second finished watching B5 for oh, the wow. first time. Blimey. Yeah, that was other level. Anyone who dismisses this show based on when and how it was made is out of their minds. Sure, you can see that they had to artificially extend it when the surprise season 5 renewal came about, but by that time I was so invested in the characters, the universe and the story that I just wanted to hang out. So yeah, having ha- having an issue with it looking 90s is like complaining about the quality of paper your copy of Lord of the Rings is printed on. <laughs> I like that. The final episode left me in tears, and I have literally just had to pull myself together to write this, and I am now going to go back and watch the pilot again. Thank you for the recommendation, uh, and yes, it wouldn't be a 90s sci-fi show if it if I didn't mention that a lot of the first season is crap. Now go watch Farscape, you assholes, Craig. <laughs> I love that email, because I think I pretty much felt the same after watching I just love the idea that he finished watching Babylon 5 and then turned to his computer or smartphone to <laughs> send that email. That's yeah, a, that's awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, Craig. And I completely agree with you. If anyone who thinks that show sucks has no taste. Ironically, I think that it's only because we do this podcast that we haven't rewatched Babylon 5. Yeah. I think we probably would have, but there's always been this sense of, well, we'll probably do it someday yeah on this yeah. podcast so why you it's know. such good material because um, it'd be annoying to watch it and then are amazing it, it would be annoying to, to do a rewatch of it just a recreational rewatch not that this mm. isn't recreational but um and then not be recording our reactions afterwards it would just yeah. seem really wasteful mm. you know yeah. but we don't have obviously the capacity to do that but mm. uh, but no no and good points as well i mean i hear that and it just I'm always disappointed in people when they say that. Oh, I can't get past the this, I can't get... And it's like, what, do you apply that to music as well? Yeah. You know, because it sounds like it was recorded in the 70s, because there's wah-wah on the guitars. Yeah. Um, because there's echo on the vocals, because they didn't have digital... I mean, what the fuck? 
Do you think old cars are gross? Yeah. Because I, I just, I, I, I really just can't get past that. And I think part of it is, um, and this is full on old man waving fist at clouds kind of territory here, but I think part of it is that I think that the generation after us, well, after you, um, Hannah, um, um, are, <laughs> have, have grown up with accessibility to everything. Mm. Um, you know, particularly, so there's be, there's no shortage of free contemporary entertainment. Yeah. So there's no read. There's been no reason to go back. So people have lost the ability to find value um, in something that is old. And the thing, that, and you'll notice that the the increase in the term dated. Yeah. When people are just saying that it's actually old and because dated is that's a criticism mm. saying that something's dated is that's a derogatory thing to say about something yeah and it just means that you're dismissing huge portions of culture and it also suggests that if all you're getting out of it of your entertainment is that it looks new and that it looks expensive yeah. Um, then, you know, more power to you, but I just don't roll like that. No, I don't know. either. And um, I remember being very nervous about watching it because I was really unsure if I would follow. You'd said it was really, you had to pay attention, and I was worried I wasn't going to follow it. Yeah. Um, but honestly, it, it. I think... What I would say about J. Michael Straczynski is that he, um, I feel like he wants to give his audience the best ride that they can have. Yeah. Like, he's going to make it so you can't be sort of one eye on the TV, one eye on your phone, mm. but he's not going to make it some kind of freaking Krypton factor puzzle yeah, yeah. that you, like, is so wordy that you've got no idea what's going on. Well, it's funny, I was thinking about this the other day because on the Kindle I'm reading a, um, a book um, about 90s sci-fi and they talk about Babylon 5 and one of the things that occurred to me is Babylon 5 almost feels like an adaptation of historical events that haven't happened yet. Yeah. That's what it feels like. It feels it's so rich in its universe and this is what Tolkien did is it feels like it's something that happened, and they've filmed. They've literally adapted these these events into a TV series, but they're just events that happen in the future. And that sounds ridiculous, mm. but it kind of feels like that. Like there's an episode um, in the fourth season that's set a thousand years after the show, and it's just a group of historians sitting around debating what actually really happened. Yeah, that's the whole episode, um, and there's no time travel element. It's just the story, because it's all written by one guy, he was just like, okay, I'm going to take the story a thousand years into the future mm. just for one episode and then come back. Yeah. And it just gave it this sense that, you know, the great epics like, you know, Gilgamesh and Dune and Lord of the Rings, you know, books that have languages written for them and like appendices. Yeah. It feels like it exists in that world. But the problem is, is that as soon as you frame it like that to anybody, it starts to feel a little bit like eating your vegetables. It starts to feel mm. a little bit like homework. But the, And that's the thing. But, like it's supremely entertaining. But that's why the storytelling is so great. Because yeah. it has all of those trappings and all of that detail. 
but the storytelling is so good that he that Straczynski makes it enjoyable. Yeah, you know, which is a no. It is. It is. is and it, it's not. It's not inaccessible. Mm. You don't have to be. Like I mean, I love sci-fi, but I wouldn't call myself an absolute nut for it. No. Um, and I found it perfectly accessible. I don't to think me. it's non-sci-fi people. I think it's an age thing. I think it's. I think because you grew up in the nineties, you grew up with like sliders on TV and things like that. So you're yeah. used to, you're accepting of that nineties aesthetic. I think the difficulty is a lot of people now in geek culture who are you know real thought leaders and influential in like blogging and writing um they were kids when lost was on god that's scary you know so that's what you're talking about that's where when they think about tv shows from their childhood they think about these tv shows that had like pilot episodes that cost 50 million dollars yeah you know whereas like babylon five episodes they were made for thousands not yeah. millions yeah um you know i mean i, I yeah, I mean, it's like you. We, I probably have the technology in this house to produce an episode of Babylon Five. You know, I mean, it's, oh, seriously. I mean, yeah, you yeah. know, I mean, apart from the stages and you know, talent, <laughs> it's uh, it's all there. But the, but that's the thing is that great storytelling. Well, out, it's kind of like you know, you'll start typing it up. If your typewriter breaks, you'll use a pencil. If your pencil breaks, you'll cut yourself and write with your blood. And, and you know, no, seriously, and, and Babylon Five feels like that. That so many times the goalposts were moved, and the studio cut the budget, and they had to move networks, and they got cancelled, and actors had to leave. But just through sheer force of will, mm. it got made. It's just a story that had to be out in the yeah. universe. And yeah. it's funny because now J. Michael Krasinski is he's doing a remake of it. He's doing another five season for, for Warner Brothers. And it's a remake of Babylon 5. And it's going to be really interesting because he will now have all of yeah. the money and technology and uh, these. But, you know, I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't as good. Um, but yeah. ironically, there will be people out there who will be like... Kind of like the same people who wait for films to be dubbed before watching foreign films. Yeah. Will be like, oh, I can watch Babylon 5 now. Yeah, and it kind of feels like it's been made for them people. Yeah, it feels like well, like Is Warner it Brothers. Is going to be a straight remake? Um, they've changed elements of it, and it's it's put it this way: it's it's Sheridan from the beginning. Right. Okay. He comes to Babylon Five, so basically they've amalgamated the characters of Sinclair and Sheridan um, because th- there was behind the scenes reasons why those characters changed and things like yeah. that. So basically, what they've done is they've like right, we'll get rid of that, and the lead character is John Sheridan, the Bruce Boxleitner character from the first episode in this remake. What are they going to do? Um, well, he'll well, I, I, the original idea was that that was going to be the end of the show. Oh, really? Yeah. So, uh, and well, I'll, I'll, I'll probably I'll bleep yeah. bit of strategic bits of this. People who've watched Babylon Five will not be talking about, but the original idea was that was how it was going to end. But then when they had to write Sinclair out and replace him with Sheridan. Yeah. They were like, well, we've already laid the groundwork for So what we'll do is we'll make that a kind of big splashy two-parter in season three and we'll come up with a different ending. And that was when they came up with all the stuff um, about... And yeah. that whole kind of... element. And then that became the climax. 
right. of that. So I mean, that's the, that's the agility that Straczynski had. But presumably, in this version, the final episode will be our lead character Sheridan. That'll be the end of the show, you know. Right. Okay. Uh, and they'll do. It. But you know, they've said that, I mean, the blurbs come out, and it says John Sheridan takes over Babylon Five. Um, mean, um, uh, um, just as a archaeological group uncover an ancient evil on an alien planet. That's right, the blurb okay. of the show. Okay. Um, and it, but it does feel a little bit like maybe you're going to get a lot of people who are like who've been sniffy about Babylon 5 and gone, oh, you know, the shaky sets and the kind of, you know, the rubber forwards and all that are going to be like, oh, I can now finally watch Babylon 5. And I'm like, fuck you. Yeah. You know, just because, you know, you, you, you want the version, you, you need to have pictures in your, you need the illustrated version of Lord of the Rings, then, yeah. um, okay, whatever. Um, but anyway, yes, yeah, sorry. Um, big tangent there, but uh, uh, no, thank you, Craig. Yes. Yep. Thank you so much, Craig. And yeah. Farscape, Hannah will never watch Farscape. <laughs> well, maybe one day when maybe when we've absolutely never, out of never say never <laughs> but I just watched the pilot and and just wasn't feeling it yeah okay um, yeah, fair enough. but but I'm not ruling out giving it another go yeah okay cool all right well um shall we hit pause and yep. we will watch this episode what's he called again Hannah? closure closure Ooh, enigmatic um we will watch this episode and then we'll come back and do a non-spoiler review um, and uh, let you know what we have thought. So we'll play a couple of promos for some Pod Syndicate podcasts. That's wearepodsyndicate.com. And then we'll come back and we will discuss Closure, which is episode nine of season three of Marvel's Agents of Shield. So Hello, Mr. Pod. Interrupt this Pod Syndicate podcast to bring you a special Pod Syndicate bulletin. This podcast you're listening to, pretty good, isn't it? Only problem is, it's about halfway through. Pretty soon, it'll be over. And then what are you going to do? Well, if you're a fan of this show, why not head over to wearepodsyndicate.com and subscribe to our brand new feed, Pod Syndicate The Bonus Shows. Every week, your hosts from Beyond the Neon, Chinstroker vs. Punter, Entertainment Landfill, Film Bastards, His Film, Her Movie, and What's On Tap will be dropping bonus shows right onto that feed. These shows might be collaborations and crossovers, or they might be archive episodes, interviews, one-offs, and other treats from across the Pod Syndicate network. So, prepare yourself for the inevitable disappointment of this Pod Syndicate show ending by heading to wearepodsyndicate.com and clicking on the bonus shows. We now return you to your regularly scheduled Pod Syndicate podcast. Okay, so we are back. We have just finished watching the latest episode uh, to us on this rewatch, at least, of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, the episode closure number nine from season three. Hannah, what do you think? I thought it was brilliant. It- um, I think this is probably the first time that I remembered, you know, a significant thing that was going to happen. But in my mind, it happened at the end of the episode. It didn't happen, you know, two minutes in. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, I had thought what happens subsequent to that was the next episode. Um, but yeah, I, I was getting all mixed up. I think I was amalgamating the episode where they help the violinist who Coulson has had a previous relationship Mm. with. I can see why you would do that. uh, Coulson's not allowed to show himself to her. I think I'd amalgamated that storyline from season one to um, this one. Well, it does feel like something that would happen at the end of an episode as well. Yeah. I mean, just from a sort of genre convention I, I thought it was brilliant, though. Like, 
just fantastic energy in the whole episode. What about you? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that this is, you know, we talk a lot about the episodes where it feels like you're moving pieces around the chessboard mm. and this is kind of the reward. Not yeah. that those episodes are a slog, but episodes like this wouldn't work as well as they do if you didn't have all of that back-end stuff happening yeah. as well. I like the fact, though, it it um, it's not all like, boom, slam, get your... Oh, there's loads things. of character stuff. Isn't yeah, it? there's heaps of character development as well, which yeah. was which well, I really love. And also, it, it, it just feels very high stakes. Yeah. You know, it feels like um, the things that are happening in this episode are going to change the characters, have effects on them. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, and the show, the show can't be the same after this. And I think it's always exciting when you reach those points and you see that all of the, you know, the Machiavellian stuff that's been happening is being done for a reason. And uh, no, I think this episode hits on all levels. It looks great. It's got a really nice score. It sounds really nice as well. Mm. Um, Really good performances. And also, I think that it helps that, the several the, the several storylines that kind of come together in this episode are the ones that I find the most interesting. Yeah, you know the inhuman stuff, the interagency stuff that I've never been quite as into isn't there, and the whole um, agents of Shield as a family, that kind of dysfunctional family dynamic, um, all of the kind of real sci-fi stuff, mm. all the stuff with Ward. Um, all the stuff we've kind of, um, you know, like Mac and Simmons and Fit, well, Fitz Simmons, um, they're the, I find at this point at least, the most interesting elements of the show. Mm. And um, they all bubble up. Yeah, in this. 100%. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I thought it was great. Well, should we get into the, into the, yeah, um, sure. into the specifics of it? Because it. um, it's one of those episodes where I think we could probably go long. So we've got to be, we've got to be quite careful. Um, one thing on the previously actually that cracked me up and is um, I can't imagine Powers Booth without a glass of scotch in his <laughs> hand. He, uh, with, uh, the, with the exception, the possible exception of Larry Hagman, I can't think of anyone else who just seems like he should always have a glass of like like in under any circumstances, like in church. <laughs> I can imagine him having a glass of scotch. Um, but anyway, so we open up on date night. And we see. Um, Did you notice that that in this episode, Rosalind's bob is less severe? Like she's got some waves in her hair, mm. and it's like to subtly indicate that she's a good guy. She yeah. is actually a good guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, severe bobs—that's shorthand, isn't it? For uh, you know, but I she's... mean, it's still the same cut, but they've basically just put some waves into her hair to kind of like good, good girl waves. Yeah, they've, they've taken down the kind of evil Karen kind of element. Yeah. <laughs> And um, so we got the date night, and 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 this scene is kind of riddled with the iconography of their relationship. And the thing is, I think that it's such a great way to not have this happen at the end of the last episode, which would have been tempting. Like they could have mm. finished the last episode of the Royal Bam as they did this. But mm. I think that by having a scene at the beginning of it, and you're thinking, and when you watch this the first time, even when I was watching it now because of my terrible memory, um, I was watching it thinking, okay, so we're going to get a bit more stuff about. Their relationship—he's going to be, closer, yeah, he's going to mistrust. Yeah. Um, but by having it suddenly kick off at the beginning of the episode, because when things like that happen, it's unexpected to the characters, mm. so it should be unexpected to us. And one of the ways of making that unexpected is to have it happen 
in an episode just during the season, you know, not like the first episode or the final episode, yeah. like the end of season cliffhanger or anything like that. Uh, I mean, this isn't even the uh, mid-season break episode. I mean, I know. knew it was going to happen in this episode, but I honestly thought it was going to be at yeah, the yeah. end. So, but, but what that achieves is a kind of discombobulation of the audience, which I think is, is necessary because mm. this episode is kind of a wild ride and running through it is the kind of out-of-control Coulson. Yeah. So we need to um, understand that and kind of feel that, I think. But so you've got them talking about, you know, like they've she's gone out to get the burgers that they've talked about in the favourite episode. She's got a lot of the matches from the, um, you know, their sort of like one of their previous, you know, dates, if you can call it that. And um, the and they and, and they get all bantery about how you know swiping right and he doesn't understand the reference and um, she says you're a luddite and he's like I've got a flying car and she's like oh he's a car for sixties so they've got this nice little kind of you know repartee going on. Um, it, it cracked me up watching this scene as well how because um, they've bought burgers but obviously they're, the, the the kind of the, the visual gag is that they're having a romantic meal so they've mm. got the plates and all that kind of stuff and they're opening it all. And it's funny because it's a combination of the fact that, oh, shit, okay, we've done this cute thing, but now we've actually got to eat fries and burgers, but, like, on plates and stuff. <laughs> and it's a weird, it's a funny thing because it's a combination of TV acting, but also I noticed, like, she'll be dipping, like, the her fries in the, in, the, um, in the sauce and, like, taking a bite of them and then dipping it again and taking a bite. And I watched it and it occurred to me that there are people out there who don't eat fries in one go. Because when I eat them, it's like I'm taking tablets. <laughs> I'm like, you know, yeah, but I'm like, you can eat fries in like several bites. Mike, watching you eat is like watching a vacuum cleaner eat. It's just like it just gets shoveled into your mouth. My ex girlfriend said that I eat like a poor person. No, like a rich person who used to be poor. <laughs> that was, uh, and I thought that was a great uh, analogy. Honestly, it's like. It's the quick and the dead if you're sharing a meal with you. Just keep your hands and feet away from my mouth. I I made us a pasta dinner one night, just a like very simple spaghetti and garlic bread to go with it. And I will never forget, I dished up our dinners on two plates and I'd put the garlic bread, all of it, in a bowl in the middle of the table. Mike sat down and... He picked a piece up out of the bowl to eat of the garlic bread. He, as he was eating it, put two more on his plate and then went to pick up the fourth one to start eating that because the first one had gone. And there were only about seven pieces in the bowl and I had to, like, stop you because <laughs> I hadn't had any. What's it got to do? It reminds me of um, Jason, Fozzie Bear, our just, uh, sort of internet friend of, of, of Hannah and I's. Talk, I remember seeing him do a uh, a Facebook or or Twitter post about how him and his his partner he he cooked. He was talking about how he like took the skins off these things and like deep fried them and caramelized them and did all this kind of stuff. And it took four hours. And he's like, and we ate it in six minutes watching TV. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like he's like, why the fuck did I even bother? Like, yeah. Doing this? yeah. Um, but yeah, so. So they're having their date nights, and she gets shot, you know, and I like the fact that they do. It reminds me a little bit stylistically of something out of the Tim Burton Batman movies, you know, when the camera zooms through the city yeah. to him. It feels like something, like, out of a Tim Burton movie. It's got mm. a very uh, kind of deliberately artificial kind of uh, staginess to it that yeah. I quite like. Yeah. Um, so we see that it's Ward. Ward calls him. 
Um, and he also mentions that, you know, he has sent some of his guys down to kill him, but he wanted to hear the panic in his voice. And Coulson goes kind of badass, actually. There's a really nice sequence where he just deals with these guys. Mm. And um, the thing that I like about that, though, about badass Coulson, is that he's um, he's not invincible. You know, like, he's not when he's fighting, he's not suddenly like Mac or Ward, but he is just about tough enough but he's smart. Like he kind of MacGyver's his way through it a little bit. Like all the stuff with like MacGyver's the, exactly what you know. I thought when he started, like with the buddy aerosol yeah. pen. And so, stuff. so what you're seeing is he's just very well trained. Mm. You know, so he's got he is. T- I mean, he's tough enough to take a punch. Yeah. Um, but he's not. You know. He's been around long enough that he's got plenty of tricks. Well, it's like he's learned how to do this stuff. You get the feeling it's not a natural. He's not no. not. Like you don't get the feeling that he would have been a naturally athletic person no. like in his youth. Yeah. Um, but it's part of the job, so he's kind of taking that as seriously as he would, mm. you know, code breaking or any of the kind of nebbish, geeky kind of elements yeah. of it. Um, but we, and, and like I said, he feels very high stakes. And, and this whole sequence, this nighttime sequence where he fights with the guys and then he jumps out and he gets him a truck with Mac, it reminds me a lot stylistically of Michael Mann. Like, yeah. like a lot like um, Collateral mm-hmm. and um, um, Miami Vice. Yeah. Like there's lots of like wet neon-y streets and it feels very much like a kind of L.A. noir kind of vibe mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. And I think that nearly all of this episode is set at night as well mm-hmm. uh, or in dark rooms. And I think that's an interesting stylistic choice because, you know, in S.H.I.E.L.D. you do get a lot of daytime scenes. You get a lot of scenes of them in, like, sort of deserty environments and, you know, New Mexico and things mm. like that. So to, I think the choice to have this episode being almost completely nocturnal um, and the characters, you know, like, are wearing their, you know, their black SAS costume. So it gives the whole episode a very kind of just a darkness, you know, yeah. not darkness sort of thematically, but just literally, you know, mm. sort of darkness. Yeah. Um, so... We uh, Matt comes to get him. Um, we see them him get back to the office, and you get the impression that he's like trashing the office. That he's having like an it's episode. Gone a bit postal. Yeah, the team are all like, oh, you know, this is a bit, bit awkward. Um, and what he says is, he wants to get each of the original team members. The, I mean, basically, what he wants to say is, I want to get the season one guys <laughs> back together. Yeah. Um, and this whole sequence where he says, look, I want to, you know, no matter how, and he's saying this to May because obviously he knows. Um, you know, I want to get all, I want everything on Ward, and you, I, you get the feeling that he's doing this for two reasons. Is part of it is that he wants he wants to go and kill him, and he thinks he needs to know and understand him so he can formulate a strategy. Mm. Um, but also, it feels like he's kind of punishing the team, like he's being quite proddy and quite mean spirited about it because he ultimately, and this all comes to a head later in the episode when he confronts Hunter. Because he blames himself. Yeah. He feels responsible for not seeing it. And ultimately, and he's right, ultimately it's his responsibility. And and I think that him taking it out on the team with the how aggressive parts of his questioning is kind of comes from that. The thing I like the most about it, and I'd be interested to know if this was a consideration when the episode was written. I sort of feel like the interrogation was a nice 
The inter- you mean the bit where he's interviewing it, the team? Yeah, when he's okay. interrogating. Sorry, because there's an interrogation scene later with Simmons. I didn't know. Yeah, you were talking. no. Well, we're talking about him talking yeah. to the team. Yeah. I'm talking about that point. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, sorry, I didn't see that as interrogation, yeah. but okay. He said, "Get the interrogation room ready." Yeah, yeah, because that's the room that they're in. Yeah, so it's an interrogation. Yeah. Okay, all right, okay. The thing I really like about this scene. And I would be interested to know if this was a consideration that they did actually think about or it's just something that I've attributed to it, is by doing the interviews with each of the season one cast members, Mm. it reminds the viewer of key episodes in season one that relate towards character. And all of the psychological uh, underpinnings of it. And gets you back in a rhythm of knowing who he was, what he's done. The mind games. Like the blowing the house up, um, putting his brother down the well. Like these are all things. Being in a relationship with May. These are always all season one things. Yeah. So um, all you've known what... Ward 4 in either seasons 2 or season 3 is uh, Hydra Guy so I feel like it's the writer's way of reminding the audience this is what he was in season 1 especially if there are viewers who have joined it without yeah, watching yeah, yeah. season yeah. one. They've and, come into and it. And this was pre pre streaming as well. So I mean but I think I think the other element to it is it feels like um his story's coming to an end. That's what I mean. This episode is called Closure, and they're talking about his. And then maybe, if not his literal storyline, then his sort of psychological journey that we followed. So I think that it's important for them to circle back to the beginning of that. And it's funny because a lot of the theorizing that happens in this scenes, the kind of the, the, the what's and the why's of Ward, particularly in the conversations between Daisy and Colson are the exact same conversations we had while we were watching the episodes and reviewing them, mm. where we were talking about, is he evil? Was he? Why was he doing this? Does he believe this? Is he really honest? Is he? Does he even know anymore? All of those kind of conversations are directly addressed yeah. in this. So it's, it's interesting watching this as a rewatch project thing where we've watched it um, with a closer eye or a cr- closer level of scrutiny. Um, I think that these those scenes... Um, pay off more as a result of that because I mean specifically he talks about um, they talk about him being Ward being damaged and family a lot mm. and basically the, what they they all kind of say is that it made him desperate to feel needed and like a hero and that he was trying to replace something and what we see later with and his to brother rewrite the history he, of what he, happened yeah yeah um, because what we see with his brother later on is that Ward was. A victim of abuse. Yeah. Um, so that was true. Mm. And his brother, that we see, has no agenda or horse in the race. And I'm jumping forward, but it relates to these scenes. And so we are, we kind of have to take that as truth. Mm. Um, so part of the responsibility of Ward is taken off in the sense that all abusers, all adult abusers who were abused as children are victims as well. Mm. You know, so there's that, um, but also the idea that he did this one awful thing to his brother, and felt so, and was basically driven mad by the guilt. Yeah, that the guilt made him so overly protective 
of his brother that he would go to psychotic levels to justify doing that. Like, yeah. killing his parents and his brother because it almost became... Anybody looks at his brother's side would he'd go crazy. And it feels like, at that point, he crossed a line, that a psychological line, something broke, that he could never come back from. So then he was just always in search of a father figure, as he calls it, to attach himself to, to justify those tendencies. Mm. So really, that's... You and I have theorised a lot, but basically, that's the character. That's what we learn in this episode, kind of beyond a doubt, is that that's who he is. Daisy, basically, in the... I guess, to sort of complete the the, the montage of uh, interviews, Mm. basically says that Ward feels too much. Yeah. You know, that this idea that he, he it's is It's not just, a lack of emotion, it's yeah. a overload of it's, emotion. Yeah, it's just, it's it's emotion unchecked and yeah. kind of untamed in a lot yeah. of ways. And um, Well, he's, he's, because he's had such a fucked up childhood, he hasn't worked out healthy ways to deal with emotion. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's basically his parents' fault that he's like this. Yeah, yeah. And, um... We see the the guy who looks like Snoke from the Star Wars uh, prequels um, talking about the NASA mission and about the independent contractors that came on. And uh, we see Malik talk, talking about the five stones. They're a little bit like... The guy, Snoke? Oh, you mean Rosalind's? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too, yeah, I yeah. see. And um, like he, he, um, then we move over to Malik. And it's funny how Malik, when he talks about the stones, mythologically, they feel a lot like the um, the rings in Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. You know, the, or, or, or I guess... Also, I suppose you could say the the Infinity Stones, you know, the idea that you've got these powerful things um, that were meant to be. It says that they, the idea was that they were going to be shared amongst the key leaders in Hydra. Mm. Um, but, the, you know, how they've got them all and about how that can create tremendous power. Um, and that they, they are the key to everything that Hydra uh, has ever wanted. Everything that Hydra was um, ever created to do, which was to re- reach this entity, um, that was stalking Will and uh, Simmons um, on the alien planet. Uh, Coulson kicks off a hunter and kind of blames him. But basically, I think that's where um, Coulson has his realisation that, look, you know, I mean, part of him was, you know, riding everybody, you know, super hard about um, when he was interviewing them about Ward because he needed the information. But part of it was him acting out because really he... Um, he didn't realise that he's angry with himself. It's funny, it's kind of like Ward. It's a total Ward move, this idea of misplaced uh, emotional feelings and, you know, putting him in the wrong place. Mm. Um, um, and he says to Hunter, you better not miss this time. He makes Mac acting director as he basically needs to cross some moral lines that he feels that he can't do um, as the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. So he's kind yeah. of defers command whilst he goes off on his... Uh, you know, crazy... Um, mythic quest. His mythic quest, yeah. Um, so Simmons says that um, opening a portal is um, basically dangerous and selfish. Um, she's saying this to um, to Fitz as they're wandering around uh, the base. And, um, and Part of it- me thinks, like, as much as she says, you know... Um, you know how I feel about Will. I want him back. He saved my life. Blah no, blah blah. She kind of doesn't want the complications. She, no, it. she doesn't want it. She wants. She wants it to be straightforward with her and Fitz. She wants. She wants there to only be one man that she really. Cares it's nice about to know she's willing to in, sacrifice a man's life world. Yeah. for her own romantic convenience. You know, um, that's very uh, very yeah. thoughtful. Yeah, um, yeah. We get the. I uh, can understand it. Yeah. It's like, we, we we see old Snoke. 
well, he appears that he kills a bunch of people, but then we see that actually it's Mark Dacascos doing his um, gun control. Gun control. Hey, there you go. Um, um, sort of levitation-y trick. Um, and um, Ward nabs Fitzsimmons. Um, he goes to visit them separately and he's being all sort of like, you know, threatening-y. Uh, and it's funny as well. I could never hurt you, but he can. Yeah, but he can. Uh, it's funny how it's 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 complete uh, TV torture as well. Yeah, yeah. Where it's all no, like it's no. all like we've got pliers and we've got all these kind of things. You're like, oh my god! And then you come back and, and she has a slight cut, cut on her cheek. Yeah, yeah, and looks like slightly slightly tired. You know, yeah. and, and that's just that's the reality of the sort of you know the sense I, of TV. I I did think the same thing because the scream she'd expected to be open up at the torso. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her fingers missing. You yeah, know. yeah. I uh, I popped out of its socket. Yeah, or yeah, totally. And um, maybe she's a fast healer. Who knows? Um, but, Maybe uh, she popped that sucker back in <laughs> yeah. before they got there. It's uh, I always think the bit, the bit. Uh, Dennis Leary in his famous uh, "No Cure for Cancer" concert set, like stand-up comedy set, talks about how difficult it is having like a tough guy dad because he wasn't like Dennis Leary when he said when he was growing up he was like into movies and mm. like stuff, and he's like, uh, you know, it's like my dad was one of those guys where he could be like, you know, uh, accident. He said, <laughs> but when he was a kid, his dad was like using a nail gun. Uh, and he claims this is a true story. And he was like, ka-chunk, ka-chunk, ka-dump, yeah. and put one through his hand. Yeah. And he's like, oh, my God. And he said that his dad grabbed the nail of his teeth and just pulled it out and spat it on the floor. And he said that, no, Dennis Lee, what saw his when he was sick? And he's like, well, that's crying out forever for me. <laughs> it's like, I can't fucking cry. And it's like, this is a guy you could, like, cut his head off and just staple it back on and be like, oh, a fucking head came off. <laughs> and I was sort of just thinking about that in this scene. It was just like, you know, she's just like, oh, no, I've just popped my guts back in again after the nasty yeah, torturing. Yeah. Um, well, it's like but, old um, Buck Shelford, all black, <laughs> had his testicle ripped open oh. and... He got it sewn up on the sidelines and continued on. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't think I could manage that. Oh, I know you couldn't. <laughs> I've got a splinter, I can't look at it. <laughs> and neither could our son. Do you remember when... You oh, I remember. You don't I, even need to tell I the have, story. I have to... I have to drive him home with, I like... I have to tell the story for <laughs> the listeners, because it's really funny. So, Mike had taken our two kids out um to have a play at the beach wasn't it yeah um and anyway you got there and next thing you know philip's absolutely bawling his eyes out mike can't see what's wrong with because him. a snake got him do they have snakes in he's, new zealand he's what? holding his foot and he won't put any pressure on it and like he's thinking something serious so puts him back in the and car, he's like take me home and he's, home. he's sweating yeah, like yeah, his hair yeah. stuck yeah, to right, his forehead terrible so he would have been three, and well, he would have been, but he passed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Mike got home, rushed him inside, really worried. You were wrapped in a blanket. Hey, lads, like, oh god, I think we're going to need to take him to A and E. I don't know what's wrong with him. He plonked him down on my knee. I turned his foot over. There was the smallest prickle you've ever seen in your life. I took it out, and he went, oh, thanks, Mum, and ran off. That is the level of hardness yeah, that yeah, uh, yeah. is in this family. Oh, we just I got am, there. I'm the hardest person in the oh, family. No by question. By a mile. No question. If, if, if two of us entered Thunderdome, you'd be the one leaving, believe me. Um, so, yeah, so we, basically we see that they go and get Ward's brother as well because they've realised that that is his um, sort of psychological Achilles heel. You know, he's his... He's, yeah. um, so much of his psychosis 
comes from I don't this. remember this at all. No, neither do I. Um, so his brother says that basically that Ward did have a shit childhood. He says that Grant was the good kid until he pushed him um, into the well and he felt guilty, but basically couldn't process it. That's that's what it all comes down to. Is his, big, his childhood trauma was that because of the abuse he'd had from his parents, he became unable um, to, or unable to process... Um, Doing something wrong. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, just well, it just powerful, complex emotions. You know, he just couldn't he couldn't handle it, and he felt so bad about hurting him that he basically obsessively protected him. Um, they decide to play the old phone trace trick, and um, it works because um, of um, his brother and mm. the sort of the effect that has. And they realise that he's in the south west of England in the castle. Um, that we saw earlier on in the season. Um, Mac basically feels like Coulson has just lost his shit and doesn't know what to do. We cut back to them um, basically preparing to bring the thing back to the castle. Um, we see that Fitz has agreed to go with them to save Gemma. We see that Mac's plan is to mobilise the two Inhumans, so Lincoln, and I can't remember the character's name. Is it Joey? Um, the guy... Um, from the first episode of the season, we saw him again uh, later on. Let me just have a look. Um, at this. I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, it's that's not massively important. That guy, basically, and basically he he Mac speechifies and gets a nice speech director from May as well. So we're starting to see that he's doing you know he's doing pretty good gatekeeping there. I love that about May as well. Like, um, so Mac is has been told he's director. Yeah. It's, it's a shit just, time to have to get that. Yeah, gig but as well, there's isn't it? just no like. She doesn't question it at all. She just starts calling him director. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From the minute, from the minute she knows he is yeah. like, and she's not saying it in any kind of condescending way. She's saying, "This is how it is. You're now. the director. Yeah. What do you want to do? Yeah. Like direct me. Yeah, yeah, yeah." So, um, the, the, I think it's it's interesting that you know when. Colson gets a, uh, I think it's Bobby accuses him of letting his emotions run away with him. He's like, well, look where keeping my emotions in check's got us. Mm. You know, he's like, let's. It's time to try something different, and he's kind of right, I think, yeah. in some ways. It's like, look, if we're going to go after Ward, uh, we just have to go balls out. Yeah, you know? and he knows how to get him. That's yeah. the thing, but he knows that it's not standard protocol yeah. kind of way. Well, it's like, you know, if you're going to go into the ring with Mike Tyson, you've got to fucking G yourself up a little bit, haven't you? And you make I think... sure that your ears are well and truly bite <laughs> Yeah. Um, Maddock wants Ward to lead the men on the other side. And Ward is initially reluctant, but Malik appeals to his ego, basically. And Simmons tells Fitz to let them kill her, and he says that he can't lose her again because she doesn't want him to go and bring this sort of terrible. And he doesn't want to be in a world that she doesn't exist. Exactly. In. Uh, we see Ward put his Stargate costume on, um, and basically, I mean, it's Stargate. Yeah, you know, yeah. What's going on here? I, I think it's funny that you can see how focused Coulson is by he recognizes Ward from his heat signature. Yeah. Just from the body language or kind of where he is in the room, it's like yeah. he's so. And Hunter's like, there's no way he, he can, he's actually recognising him. Mm. Um, so Coulson parachutes in. Um, Hunter goes How to How amazing follow. is his aim, yeah, considering yeah. he's, you know, fallen down the well? Yeah, there's some. There's some. Uh... There's got to be some kind of poetic thing <laughs> in there about, about the fact that it's a well. I'm thinking about the, uh, every time you say that, I'm all thinking about. All the way about, down. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We're sending our love down the well, all the way down. The, the, the Sting charity song for the kids stuck down the well. It's uh, yeah. all the way down. I think that yeah. every time I say yeah. the well, yeah. 
so he he free falls through the Stargate, and then we get the little post-credit sequence of them on the other side, and we see that Colson has been knocked out. So, any final thoughts, Hannah, before you tell us about next week's episode? Oh, fucking bring more of it on! I'm I'm in the zone. Yeah, um, I feel like we've we've fallen into quite a nice rhythm. We've fallen down the way, well, all, all the, the way, way down, down. <laughs> all the way down. <laughs> um, I think Simpsons reference, by the way, in case people are wondering. I think our recording schedule is is quite good for the for this season. You know, like, um, well, you, your inability pretty much to leave the house helps I think yeah yeah yeah. you're not well, gallivanting with your gal pals are you yeah yeah I can't do anything so you know I've got to get my kick somehow yeah I'll break um, the other leg and then we'll burn our way through season four <laughs> yeah yeah you'll Kathy Bates me I will I think this season needs that approach though like I'm not saying that it's a throwaway season but it's kind of it needs to continue with the momentum to really enjoy it I think well I think that this season is better on rewatch and it isn't just because that, that often referenced thing about rewatching where you know you know the show's good so you kind of you're not thinking oh it's gone off the boil because you know that it ultimately it says good mm-hmm. i think it's just that this season is in some ways like more subtle mm-hmm. than the other seasons so i think that if you're really entrenched in the show by discussing it and thinking about it in because we'll have these discussions and you'll say things and I'll be like yeah that didn't occur to me just for, to, just for, and just through the process of analysing it you know mm-hmm. for want of a better word it makes your you more invested and kind of entrenched in the show yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that that it makes it better you oh, know 100% so I don't think this season fares well if you're watching it once a week yeah it is a binge watch yeah for the first season. time yeah yeah and and also you know when when we watch a show you know you watch it and you take it in but then you don't really think about it until the next week's show whereas we will record this episode we'll, we'll watch the episode we make our notes so we're kind of it's a bit like it's a difference in reading a book and then reading a book and revising for an exam and then writing the exam mm. you know you your experience of that book is much more significant when you do that. Yeah. And that's kind of what we're doing here. And then I'll edit the episode. And I know that you listen back to them because you're yeah, curious yeah. about how they're going to sound. So it's just, it makes us much more invested in it. So just a sort of a knowing glance between characters can have meaning and impact that we would just have gone over our heads if it was just the show that we were whacking on once a week or maybe even not watching for a few weeks and then coming back and watching some of them yeah it's a that's a different relate sort of textual relationship with it and yeah. um and it helps but uh no i think good stuff i can't wait to see where it goes um okay hannah uh, you want to bring up the details of the next episode and while you're doing that i will just remind people that we do appreciate emails um at rewatchprojectpodcast at gmail.com and I can't emphasize enough how much we do enjoy those because as any podcaster or blogger or any person who's sort of YouTuber who's putting themselves kind of out there um, the um, you know it's such a small percentage of your audience that you ever actually hear from and um, you know when I listen to podcasts I've said this before I feel like I know the people that I'm listening to and um, you know, you can actually. You know, I mean, I, I, I listen to all the podcasts. Nearly all the podcasts I listen to are non-professional. Yeah, you know, they're not like I've got no interest in listening to the official Star Trek podcast. I couldn't give a shit. No, you know, 
Uh, whereas like enthusiastic fans whose company I enjoy, I will listen to. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and the advantage of that is that you, I can reach out to them and have conversations yep. with them and do all of absolutely. that. So do that with us and be part we're of the loving, show. We're loving all the comments on our YouTube channel yep. and um, yeah, emails. Just yep. keep them coming. Yeah, it's absolutely. fantastic. Um, and social media, we I'm not going to lie, we don't do that much on there. But I think that, again... That's a self-perpetuating thing. I think that if you follow us, interact with us there, then we that will provoke us to do more stuff. You know, yeah. that's kind of how it works. It's a symbiotic relationship. Um, and uh, as I said, we are positive.com. Go over there. And if you do listen to us on YouTube, then likes and subscriptions are appreciated. So, And Apple Podcast Reviews as well. They're really important. We would appreciate those too. So what are we talking about next time, Anna? Okay, so the episode next week is called Maveth. That's not me with a lith. Oh, okay. Mavis. Um, Mavis Staples. Uh, so the synopsis says, Shield batters Hydra head-to-head, which sees Coulson and Fitz take the ultimate risk, while Daisy and the Inhumans try to keep Hydra at bay. Oh, it's a battle on two fronts. Da, da, da. And it is directed by Vincent Messiano and written by Jeffrey Bell. Solid. Uh, very solid crew. It's yeah. got a 9.1 out of 10 on IMDb. Wow. Even better than this week's. Indeed. So I think it will be amazing. I think it's going to be a good one. Okay, that's us, guys. See you soon. Take care. is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com.